Good morning, everybody. Our lector for today is Rachel, and our passage for today is Colossians 3, 12 to 15. Hi. Servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye servants or as people pleasers, but with certainty of uh, heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for the men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Welcome, everyone. Let's pray. Father, we look to you as the one who can, in truth, be our boss, as the one who is able to sustain us and provide for us and give us strength. We come to you this morning seeking changes in heart, in thinking, in our ways of life, And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to see work through the lens that you have taught us to to see it in. We ask, Lord, that you would work with us and speak to us and help us today. We ask that you would show us uh, your heart and that we would become like you as we meet you personally. We thank you, Father, for all that you're doing, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite quotes to describe what life is like and how we apply wisdom comes from, well, Mike Tyson, who is not known for being the wisest of all men. No, he is not. But he had one quote that that gets quoted a lot because it is just so true to human experience. And that quote goes, everybody has a plan until they get hit. Everybody has a plan until they get hit. And anyone who has ever done, well, a combat sport, like Mike Tyson, knows precisely what he's talking about. Uh, A long while ago, as some of you know, like I used to do kickboxing uh, as part of doing Kempo. Is it really that shocking? And part of the nature of kickboxing is that you learn a lot of stuff. Okay, there's a lot of talk about like footwork and where you're standing and the, you know, the angle of where you're standing compared to the angle of where the other guy is standing, going inside, going outside, talking about you know, what your hands are doing, what your head is doing, all this different stuff. And then you, know, you get there, you're, you're practicing with one of your buddies and you know, you're moving around, you think, you, you think you're cool and then all of a sudden you know, a foot comes out of nowhere and goes wham and hits you right on the side of the helmet and you go, er? And all of a sudden, all of the, the footwork and the head movement, all the stuff you're talking about, well, you had a better head movement that wouldn't happen to you, but all of the stuff just gets flushed right down the, the, the tubes, and you're just like, I better react. All of your plans just go right down the toilet of your mind, and you, just, and you tend to react on what you've been trained with the first time you get hit. We are talking about a theology of work, Okay? And sometimes when we think about theology, we think of theology as being this whole body of stuff we know. That's like, oh yes, I know all about, you know, all of these fancy theological terms and phrases. And I have all this understanding of how work is supposed to work. But then the first time we get hit, pow, it's like all that stuff just goes down the potty of our minds. And we're left reacting with the ways that we have trained, okay? And what that means is, when we talk about the theology of work, 
what we're really aiming for is not a better conceptual understanding. Like a better conceptual understanding is good. I want you to understand how we should think about work. But really what I want you to be able to do is the first time you just get smashed at work, the first time someone yells at you, the first time a coworker gossips about you, when, you're, when your uh, boss has unreasonable expectations on you, and then after those, they have those unreasonable expectations, you actually do it all, and then they say, look at what a great leader I am. I'm pushing my, I'm pushing my underlings to, to, to achieve more. And you're like, and you're ready to start dropping expletives on them. These are the times where how we have trained ourselves is going to be the most important question. It's going to be a question of, at the baseline of my soul, how do I respond when work hits me? And all of the mental stuff just goes down the drain. What's going on in my heart about work? So when we say theology of work, we don't just mean here. Have all this theology, brain, 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 and your brain goes, thank you, brain, brain, brain. But what we're, really, what we're saying is, how do we think and respond when things at work are painful, when they're going bad? And this brings us to uh, actually two passages, one of them in Colossians, one of them in 1 Peter. And it's interesting because if you work for yourself, <clears throat> if you're a carpenter or a tanner or a fisherman and you have your own business, you don't need to worry that much about your boss, right? And in the, and in the ancient world, in the times of Jesus and then Paul, there are lots of people who worked for themselves. So you might say, hmm, what's there in the Bible that really applies to my workplace? How do I know how I should relate to my boss? How I should think about my boss? <clears throat> well, there's really only one model that does it, if we're being really honest. And it was the, the lowest part of the, the society of their times. It was masters and slaves. Because if you, let's be honest, changing jobs in our society is easy. It, well, it's possible, but it's not really all that easy. It's not secure. You can't say, oh, I'm going to leave this job and I'll have another job by next week. If it is, if it is like that for you, you are already so financially secure that, that most of this involves no fear for you. But for most of us, changing jobs is a hard and fearful thing. So we want to see, that means that if we deal with a difficult work situation, we are stuck with it for at least a while. We have to, we have to live with it. We have to put up with nonsense. And the alternative to putting up with nonsense is to create a whole bunch of conflict. And into this scenario, the Bible speaks to us from Colossians. And when Paul wrote these words in Colossians 3, he was not writing them as a concept out into the vacuum. He was writing them to the majority of his church. When he said, Slaves obey, your earth, slaves, obey your earthly ma obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. He was not speaking to two or three guys in his church. He's like, oh yeah, slaves, we have a couple of those. He was talking to a big chunk of his congregation. 
when the, when the Romans wrote to us, those, those early Romans, about who Christians were, they, they, they routinely called Christianity the religion of slaves and women. Because you asked, who was in church? Overwhelmingly, it was slaves and women. Which, oh, by the way, if anyone ever tries to tell you that, that uh, Christianity represents some oppressive patriarchy or something, uh, point to them the fact that from the earliest days of Christianity, that the first people who wanted in church because of how freeing it was, was women. So that, that's a whole other conversation for another sermon. But in talking to the, to the slaves, Paul offered them something that was, that was um, better than mere, uh, boy, I hear your complaints. It was something better than empathy. He said, if we're willing to have our minds transformed in the way that we think about labor, even the day-to-day sufferings that we have, even the, even the difficulties, even the losses of dignity will become bearable, become manageable, and even, in many ways, become holy. And this is what I'm hoping that we can capture today. It's the question of, what does it mean to work as to the Lord? We, you might hear us use those, that, that kind of language a lot, right? You talk about, oh, you know, I just want to work as to the Lord. We want us to serve as to the Lord. Uh, you might hear the Christian cliche, I perform for an audience of one. Anybody heard that one? Yeah, it's, it's gotten to the point where it's like a, almost past a proverb into the, to, into the realm of cliche, where I kind of cringe to say it, even when I really believe it. But what, what Paul is offering them is he's offering to take a job that, that offers no social dignity, which in fact offers shame. And he's saying there is eternal value and power in this. If you are willing to serve as if you were serving Jesus himself. And this, is, and this offends the living daylights out of us 21st century Americans, not going to lie. Because if I, was, if I went back to the first century, as a 21st century American, um, I'm not exactly what you would call a political activist, but I would be tempted into political activism if I went back there. I'd be like, come on, man, you're not going to let him talk to you like that. Let's, uh, let's organize a labor movement. If all the slaves go on strike, you know, the, the Roman Empire's economy will shut down, which, I mean, has, was proven to be the case. But that's, uh, you, you can think about the Roman Empire for yourself, guys. So that joke went over like a lead balloon. But um, in fact, just 100 years, bef- just 100 years before Paul wrote these words, all of the slaves had done exactly that. There was this famous dude named Spartacus who was meant to be a, who was a gladiator that said, come on, guys, are we really going to them, allow them to uh, treat us like this? And they got together a whole bunch of slaves, and they fought against Rome, and they beat them a bunch of times until suddenly they lost and they were all killed. But th- there was this... Romans were kind of nervous about their slaves. They realized there were a whole bunch of them. They realized they couldn't run the empire without them. And there definitely was feeling that um, there, if, if Paul had said, workers of the world unite, and he had led this great social rebellion, maybe they would have gotten somewhere. And I would be tempted, if I had been Paul, to do something exactly like that. You know, I, I would have d- dipped deep into the language of Exodus, and I would have gone right after it with both barrels. But Paul says, if we were to do that, 
we would be missing out. We would be missing the point. We would be, because there is a lesson for us to be learned in service, even in humiliating service, in some ways especially in humiliating service, that is, that is worth learning. And if we learn it, we'll understand the, char the character and the personality and the work of Jesus that much greater. Amen. So, so if we look at uh, Colossians 3, he says, slaves, and make no mistake, my ESV says bondservant, bondservants, but that word douloi, it means slaves. This is uh, Colossians 3.22, for those of you that are trying to flip. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. See how he said earthly masters? He's already started to subvert the whole master-slave relationship as soon as he says earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Now this is, in many ways, this is the first challenge because one of the most frustrating tensions I feel in the church is that as soon as we start talking about things like theology of work, the way that people will actually hear it being talked about is, you better not make any public mistakes at work. You better not be caught doing anything wrong. If you're feeling anything wrong, you better do your darn well best to hide it. And if you do mess up, cover it up. And no, no pastor ever actually says those things, right? He doesn't say, you don't need to actually be Christ-like, you just need to be not caught being unchristlike. No one ever actually says that, but it seems like that's what everybody hears. To the point where if you mess up and you drop a four-letter word in front of your not-yet-Christian friends, you go, oh, I'm being a bad witness right now. And what, what, of course, we miss out on if we say those sort of things is, what would be a good witness is how you respond to dropping a four-letter word. Once your friends know that you are so angry that you're ready to drop four-letter words, letting your not-yet-Christian friends see what you do with your anger will tell them a lot more about your Christianity than just not cussing. Because people cannot cuss because it's their culture not to cuss. You know, you just had the little Steve Rogers in your head going, language, and you're like, oops. But it's another thing when people see that you're cussing mad to then see you deal with it and begin to deal with forgiving and overcoming evil with good. That's what's really meaningful. It's not just being seen to be good, but actually being good. And sometimes actually being good doesn't mean not becoming messy in public, but it means showing people how, you're, how you put your life back together after being messy. Does that make sense? And here he, so here he is saying, I want you guys to serve your masters and serve them to the max in everything. Don't let people say, you know, Christianity makes slaves rebel. But make people say, wow, I didn't know it was possible for, for slaves to be so full of dignity as they are when they are Christian slaves. And he's encouraging them in finding, to, to find dignity in their jobs by, by serving with their whole hearts. Not just, not just to please, not just for eye service, not just to brown nose up to your boss. So in other words, for those of you that are working, I'm not suggesting that you become sycophants that are just like saying, 
Sycophants are people who flatter their boss no matter what. Oh, you're the best. Oh, we should do things your way. Your way is always great. You don't want, Paul isn't trying to produce yes men who will just yes their, their boss no matter what. But he's, he's saying, take what they're asking you to do seriously and do it to the best of your ability. As if. And this is where things are going to get really important. He's going to say, as if you are serving Jesus, because in reality, he says you are. With sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. By the way, do you know what that fearing the Lord expression means? Fearing the Lord comes up a whole bunch of times in the Bible, and I feel like the church has kind of like missed the boat on this one a little bit. Because some people say that fearing the Lord is like this, like, oh, this, like, oh, you know, God. As if he was like a volcano, and you're like, I want to get close, but not too close, because I fear the Lord. What fearing the Lord really is, is it's remembering his judgment. Remembering that the eye of the Lord is upon you, and that he judges all things. That's what the fear of the Lord is. So whenever you see the, the scripture talks about fear of the Lord, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, here's what they're saying. They're saying there's not always a time where everyone's eye will be, up, where everyone's eye will be upon you. There are going to be times where you're doing self-checkout at the grocery store. And if you skipped an item, you might just go, oh, well, oops. You know, that, that's a freebie. And you just take it home. But, but having the fear of the Lord, the fear of God, is saying, well, if nobody else catches me, the Lord can see me, and he's going to judge. So the fear of the Lord is saying, when there's no other human there to keep me accountable, the fear of the Lord is allowing the Lord himself to keep you accountable. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, when we're at work, if, we have, if you have a bad boss, not even just a good boss, but a really bad one, why should we work with all of our heart? Why should you keep going even when there's no incentive, even when they're not going to recognize you, when they're not going to go, good job, when they're just going to say, aha, finally, and give you a really lousy attitude? He's saying it's because when the eye of your boss is not upon you to bless you, remember that the eye of the Lord is upon you and that he's looking for someone whose heart is fully his. So the, so the question of whose eyes are you feeling on you, is it, is it the eye of your boss or is it the eye of Jesus, this will, give, this will go a lot to saying how much you care about your job at the end of the day. Whether you, whether you have a job that will pay you out uh, for all the good that you do or if you have one that will not. And this is why, to me, it's the most valuable to talk about slaves in the New Testament. Because if you worked really well as a good slave, people said, oh, hey, he's a good slave. But you were never going to be a non-slave. Right? There was a cap to how high you could rise by doing good. And yet, Paul says, work at it with all your heart. Because at the end of the day, my goal is to please the Lord. And this is, this is one of the things that keeps us in check. As we start getting, as we start taking the hits from, from our work. This is one of the things that we can come back to during the times where we, where we feel like, ugh, you know, am I, do, am I really going through this again? Like, I love Joseph and Daniel. 
I preached Joseph last week. We're going to talk about Daniel, I think, two weeks from now. And those are wonderful guys to talk about theology of work. The one problem is that those guys win a lot. Like, you, you see their whole, their whole career is a, success, is a success, and they face troubles and trials along the way. But there's rarely a time where you get the sense that, like, Daniel felt underappreciated. And frankly, a lot of us, on our day-to-day basis, it's really easy for us to feel unappreciated. And if I was to go into the specifics of this, um, we could get into a kvetching session that would last the whole, the whole rest of the sermon. Kvetching is a, it's a Yiddish thing where it talks about the joy of complaining, the joy of feeling unjoyful, basically. And it, 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 kvetching literally means vomiting. And that, that's kind of like the, the idea of, of uh, what Paul is trying to avoid here. He's trying to avoid people, or to use the more common phrase, venting all of the, the anger of our soul. And we just go, well, let me tell you about how my work was this week. You know, you say, oh, hey, we get to Friday, highs and lows. Lows is, let me talk about my job for 20 minutes. Highs is, let me tell you about the one day of the work I wasn't, the one day of the week I wasn't working. You know, this is kvetching. And Paul says, don't let this be us. Even if we are not appreciated at all, the Lord sees and he appreciates. So whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. So first there's as for the Lord and not for men. So let's think about this on a real practical level for a second. When we say we are working as for the Lord, it's like imagine that the person that you work for is a stand-in for Jesus. Um, it would be fun to actually go through some sort of a like visualization here, if you dare to do it. Think about your boss, and now just like dematerialize his his or her face, and like Photoshop in Jesus. I realize that this probably produces some humorous images in some of these cases. But think about how differently you would do your job if your boss was literally Jesus. Yeah? And you say, how would I teach differently if the, if the principal of my school, if, the, if, the, if, my, uh, if my district superintendent was literally Jesus, would I be working differently? How would I be a different waiter or a waitress if my shift manager was literally Jesus? How would I, and then just fill in the blank. Imagine that your boss is Jesus and then think about your life. Just give it a couple minutes. Okay, well, when you think about how your life would be different knowing your boss was Jesus, Paul then drops on you the bomb that he says, you are serving the Lord Christ. It's right there in verse 24. So he says, if you treat your boss as if your boss were Jesus, then they like really are. And we recognize this when we talk about like good works and Christian service, don't we? 
Like, it, like we remember the words of Jesus where he says, if anyone gives someone a cup of cold water because they are my disciple, they certainly will not lose their reward. So they're like, oh, thank you. I really needed a cup of cold water given in the name of Jesus. And Jesus says, as much as you did it for one of these little ones, you've done it for me, right? We know verses like that. So when we think about like giving to charity, we recognize that we are serving Jesus. But have you ever thought about the fact that you can throw a burger onto the grill as if Jesus told you, how to do, told you to do it? That in each of these little tiny acts of service, they can be literally our devotion to Jesus. Not as if it were like in theory. Like, well, in theory, if my boss were Jesus, then I could, then, you know, I would live this way. But he says, you are serving the Lord Christ. If you believe you're working for him, then you are. Like, in actuality, not merely as a symbol. And this is, and this is transformative of the way that we think about uh, what we're doing and how we're doing it. So, when, when we, but this, this one also works in two directions. Because if we are working to the best of our knowledge and we're giving it our whole heart, and we are really putting ourselves out there. We're saying, I'm going to be the best that I possibly can be. And I'm going to, to put my whole heart and soul into um, what I'm doing. Then we run the risk of the fact that we will be returned evil for good. That we will do everything right. And that we will continue to be oppressed. That, that, that the place will not appreciate us. That we won't receive anything back. And you might say, oh, sure, my, my, my inheritance is in heaven, but how do I keep this going? How do I keep myself from just falling off and going, ugh, and losing hope and becoming discouraged and saying, I know this is the right thing to do, but how do I keep doing it? And this is where it becomes helpful for us to, to meet Jesus himself in our experience. So if you can flip with me for a second to 1 Peter very similar passage in many ways to Colossians 3. 1 Peter 2, uh, verse 18. 1 Peter 2, 18. How serious is Peter about us obeying this? The, the verse right before this, he says, honor the emperor. And he wrote this a few bare years before the emperor himself would order Peter crucified. So was Peter willing to live these things out? Yes. Was he serious about honoring God in the face of possible suffering? Yes. He didn't just, he didn't just walk the walk. He, boy, he didn't just talk the talk. Boy, did he walk the walk. He says, Slaves, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you, are, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So... Who is Jesus at your workplace? 
Who is Jesus at your workplace? On the one hand, when we are serving, it is our boss. We're saying, I want to serve as if Jesus were my boss. But when we serve, if we do it with our whole hearts, and if we're willing even to suffer for doing good, then in reality, the one who is doing the serving is also Jesus. And this is why, if we're willing to say, Lord, I give you my life, I give you my job, it's painful, it hurts, I, I dread waking up in the morning, but you know what? I'm going to do it as if, I'm, as if I work for you, as if you are my boss, and all of the unreasonable things I am requested to do, I'll, give, I'll do my best. And I'm not going to kvetch, I'm not going to grumble, I'm not going to complain, because I'm going to, I'm going to treat my boss as if they were you, Lord. Then what we find ourselves doing is our whole workplace becomes filled with Jesus himself. Because now not only is your boss Jesus, but you're Jesus too. And Jesus had a task that was enormous. I almost called it Herculean, and I had to cut myself short because Hercules ain't never carried nothing like what Jesus carried. Amen? Hercules performed Yeshuan tasks, but even then he doesn't measure up, right? So... <clears throat> um. Jesus, in carrying the, the suffering of the world, in accepting pain and judgment and grief and shame because of doing the right thing, he, he gained enemies, although he was perfect. So if you have work enemies, by the way, don't assume that means you're doing something wrong. Now, it might mean you're doing something wrong. I mean, if you're just a jerk all the time and you're like, shut up, don't talk to me, I'm better than you, then yeah, you've probably earned your enemies. But even if you do everything right, even if you do your best to, to follow the words of Jesus, even if you love your neighbor as yourself perfectly all the time, you might still make enemies. Because goodness only knows Jesus does, right? Jesus, the perfect one, has lots of enemies. Enemies that are uniting together in order to kill him. But, but even if we suffer... Even if, we, even if we receive hardship because of the good we do, we have this hope that we are blessed. We follow the example of Jesus himself. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. This is one of those verses that, aside from being a, a tiny bit of a tongue twister, um, I would consider meditating on this one big time. I would leave it written on my, uh, on my uh, lunchbox that I bring to work or something like that. I would, I would consider this one often. I am entrusting myself to him who judges justly. It works, by the way, in every phase of life, not just in work, but in work you need it a lot. I think it's especially good for commutes. If you go, ah, that guy cut me off, and you go, ah, ah, I am entrusting myself to him who judges justly. And you just, like, let it go, right? This, this is one of those, those phrases that teaches us how to deal with, like, impossible conflicts where we want to complain. Ah, I see someone got it. Hallelujah. 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So why is it that we make up our minds that we will not be complainers, that we will not be rebellious, that we will not be the folks leading the slave revolt at work? Why is it that we are those who are determined not to complain? And how will we deal with it if people say that this makes us... um, I don't even know how best to explain it without using an inflammatory term. Here, here, I'll take one. A class traitor. They're saying, man, you, why is it that you, that you Christians are so freaking conservative? You're always saying, you know, workers, don't complain. Don't you realize that gives power to the man in charge? Don't you realize that just, you know, works in the corporation's advantage? Yeah, okay. This is not about those things. Are we talking about, you know, getting people fair wages? There are lots of Bible passages that talk about paying people fair wages. It's perfectly acceptable to talk about those things and to discuss those things. And speaking truth to those in power is like, it's all over the Bible. There's lots of that. Okay? But that's, but what we're talking about right now is not about the state of the U.S. economy, but about the state of your heart. It's about when you are at work, Are you willing to recognize that your first and foremost allegiance is not to your boss anyway? And if your boss is a jerk, then then what we remember is we remember that we work for a higher one. We have a higher authority. There is a shepherd, an overseer of our souls. And then if we care about what he has to say, then if we can't respect the individual who is over us, at least we can respect the individual who is all the way over us. We're saying, ah, I don't know if I can respect Tom over there, but you know what? I can respect Jesus. And I'll give Tom credit on Jesus' behalf. There is great power in that. And that's where we'll begin to see God working in our lives. It is a great and gracious thing, Peter says. It brings favor upon our lives. So let's make up our minds this week that whatever sufferings... I I almost fear to preach things like this because I I fear that you guys will be tested on it this week. That like, you know, nobody takes a history test and then never gets quizzed on history. And no one learns about patience and having a good attitude in the midst of suffering without being quizzed on patience in the midst of suffering. So if you're already going through it, like, God bless you. You've probably heard something you need to hear and you're like, I'm already being tested on it. I just didn't know the material then you're probably one of the happy ones. If your life is good, this is probably a scary message because you're like, oh, God, are you going to test me on this? And he's like, "Uh, yeah. And you're like, ugh. But let's be the people this week, whether our boss is great or whether our boss is full of nonsense, whether our boss understands us and cares or whether our boss sees us as a cog in the machine, Let's choose this week that we will see Jesus above us and that we will listen and we will obey and we'll serve him with all of our heart.
And let's choose this week that as we are serving, we will be Jesus. And if we have to suffer unjustly, then we'll entrust ourselves to the one who, who judges justly. Hallelujah. I see Jesus. Ooh, he had a tough job. And he who was master of all, he who rightly owned all of the allegiance in heaven and on earth, who had brilliant, crazy, powerful, supernatural beings bowing before him and chanting his name since the time that time began. That guy came to the earth and allowed himself to be lowered to the place of a slave. Maybe being compared to a slave today might hurt our pride, might injure our dignity. But Jesus chose voluntarily to descend to the station of a slave. He went to the cross. And the cross was the death of a slave. And he chose to take upon himself the punishment for all of our sins. And instead of seeing what he was losing, instead of seeing the, the, the loss of his um, the loss of his comfort, the loss of his pride, the loss of his dignity even. Jesus saw what he was gaining. And what Jesus gained by going to the cross was a relationship with you and I. That the bonds of sin that held us back could only be broken one way. And Jesus said, I'll do it. And in the time when he felt overwhelmed, when he was being hit by the sheer anxiety of the task before him, he said, I don't know if I can stay here. I don't know if I can do this. When he was freaking out, Jesus comforted himself with these words. He said, if it's possible, may this cup pass from me. But not my will, but your will be done. And he did the will of the Father. He said, Lord, it's really hard for me to even think of the idea of going to the cross for the sake of the people who are hammering nails into my hands. But for you, I can do it. And he obeyed and went. During worship today, we sang a song called Reckless Love. And some of you might not know how controversial that song is because lots of uh, armchair theologians out there are going, can God's love really be called reckless? He knows all things. But what reckless means, really, is it means that whether you don't know, you, you, act without, um, you act without care for the consequences of your actions. And Jesus said, yo, this is going to mess me up. And he said, let's go. And he did it. And he got messed up. And he got what he wanted. He received you and I. And he's saying, come with me. 
Show your own reckless love at your job. Be willing to be messed up. Be willing to suffer unjustly. Be willing to be unappreciated. Love to the max. And it's a hard word. It was a hard word for Jesus. It's a hard word for us. But if you want in, if you want in, we have this promise. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and broke it and said to his disciples, Take this, all of you, and eat it. This is my body, which is given, given for you. As often as you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup, the third cup of Passover, the cup of redemption. And he said, take this, all of you, and drink it. This is my blood. I tell you the truth, I will not drink this cup with you again until I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus called us into the very suffering of his body and of his blood. And if we join him in his suffering with the broken body, then we join him in the promise that we will drink anew with him in the kingdom to come. If today you're, if today you're willing to say, well, uh, I don't know, Jesus, I'm pretty scared about this whole working for you thing, but but you know what? I trust you. Let's try it. Then I invite you to come and to take, the, to take the broken bread, to take the poured out cup, and allow this to become you, that we might be glorified, just as Jesus was glorified, even as we agree to be broken as Jesus was broken. Let, if you're willing, let's come. Father, we ask that you would give us the grace to see Jesus in our job this week. That by the time we reach Friday and we have disciple groups, that we would have stories of ways in which we obeyed you. That we would have stories of how we met you, of how we served and we felt you serving alongside us. Father, may each place where our feet travel this week become sacred space. Would we carry, Lord, the, the, the very presence of your Spirit with us? And would all who see us this week feel that they have seen Jesus? That all who hear us would, would, would feel that they have heard Jesus? And that, Lord, we would bring your love to every place that we go in every action that we take. We ask, Lord, that at the end of our week, come joy or come suffering, that we would have the special peace, the special resonance that comes with being one with you. We bless your work in us this week. And if we are tested, Lord, help us to, to, to do well and to pass. We ask these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and give you grace. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is the official end of our service.
Let's love one another. Let's eat together. And let's uh, hope for our jobs together. Amen.